Divine Truth. Name of this presentation is Emotional Blockages Towards God. And it is part of the Relationship with God series. It was presented in Kentucky, New South Wales, Australia on the 23rd of June, 2012. Yeah. Well, welcome guys today. Um, we're, we're, we're going to have a very short discussion with you today and then we're going to do a bit of a musical presentation for you. So, you, which you, if you, there will be a bit of it will be sort of like nice slow melodic stuff that you can sing along with perhaps and then other parts of it might be a bit uh, rocky then you might be able to get up and dance and, and warm up that way. And tomorrow what we've decided to do is actually not have a presentation tomorrow but actually just do a concert presentation for you. So, so that'll start around one o'clock tomorrow. Um, so today it'll be probably an hour and a half, two hour discussion, hour and a half discussion about something I wanted to raise with the group down here. And then um, tomorrow will be, and then after that we'll be doing our musical presentation with you and hopefully you'll enjoy that. There's been quite a few people who've prepared quite well for that. Um, and, uh, and although I am on the program, I'm the least prepared. <laughs> so please excuse my lack of preparedness. There's been too many other things going on. We've been uh, very busy, myself and Mary. We've been travelling, um, well, actually, since the start of the year, really. Uh, we've only had, so far for the entire year, we've only had five weeks home. So, um, and, uh, and it's looking like... Uh, we'll have six days home as we go. We're going home after after here, and uh, and then we'll be going overseas for two months. So, um, so it's going to be quite busy for the next couple of months as well. We'll be visiting um, Sweden. There, there's a learning centre getting set up in Sweden, so we're, we're visiting there. Uh, we'll be visiting the USA, sort of England, USA, um, Barbados, Brazil. Um, is the is the trip. Three weeks in Brazil, so that would be interesting. And then we come home uh, in the last second or last week in August. So the next time we'll see you after this will be sometime, hopefully in September. Um, it'll probably be the next time we'll, we'll see you guys, so it'll be at least three months from now. But what I wanted to discuss with you today were, was uh, probably two, two things in particular, the first thing that I wanted to discuss with you is where your attention is focused in terms of uh, what you do in your day-to-day lives and where you focus your attention. Because what I'm finding is if, if every time we come down here, if, if this is God and this is you and let's say... Uh, uh, either one of those two uh, genders you are. I don't think there is a third gender nowadays at, at all. But, uh, so that's, that's one, of you, one of you. If we really want to have a, a passionate and a strong uh, life, one of the things we need to learn to do is to place God first. Now, for most people, there are huge impediments to placing God first. And when I say huge impediments, what I mean is that we have 
the largest emotional damage that we actually have with inside of us individually is the damage we have towards God. And in a recent talk I did in Bathurst, I explained all the levels of damage that, that we have emotionally towards our relationship with God. So, so unfortunately, what we tend to do is we, we, because of all this damage, this damage is like a great big cloud. that prevents us from being able to feel God and also from being able to feel God's feelings for us. And when I say a cloud, there's all sorts of part of this damage. So, for example, there's the emotion of self-reliance. That's a, a part of the damage that prevents us from feeling God and, and feeling feelings inside of us for God. We also have feelings of rebellion. How many of you feel like you have those quite frequently, yeah? Quite a few. So uh, um, I, I suppose I should uh, not turn around while I'm writing, otherwise it gets a bit messy. Um, so we have feelings of rebellion towards God, towards law, towards God's principles and all those kind of things. We also have uh, attitudes towards God personally where we feel God is like cruel, and punishing and many of these attitudes come from a come from a variety of sources the primary source that they come from is our own parents because many of the times we were punished by our own parents at some point and many times our own parents have treated us cruelly actually and as a result of that we almost assume that anybody who says they love us is going to at some point be cruel to us and, you know, there's that song that goes, you've got to be cruel to be kind in the right measure. Like, and, and, you know, there's this whole idea that cruelty is a part of, you know, tough, tough love sort of idea. And so we start believing God is exactly the same as that. Right? And on top of that, uh, there's been many experiences that many people have had with what they believe God to be that have been cruel and punishing. And I would like to explain some of that as well as to why those experiences occur. But there is this general belief that God is cruel and punishing. There is also what we would classify as all of our issues with our parents are all the same issues we have with God and all of the issues we have with the other gender so if we're a male and we have you know, issues with the female, then we have those kind of so issues with intergender. And they are all issues we also have with God. So when you start adding up the long litany list of problems that we have with God, it's quite a lot. And so what happens is, there's all of these emotions that form sort of like a barrier between ourselves and God. Does that make sense? And it's a barrier where we can't really feel God very, very frequently at all. 
And unfortunately, oftentimes, we very rarely in our life have really strong feelings for God. You know, we have periods of time where, you know, five minutes here and ten minutes there or half an hour here maybe where we have strong feelings. Or we have a lot of feelings for God that God should fix things. So, you know, it's only in the times when we really feel like we're under the weather, you know, with our life that we turn to God and try to connect to God. And, in, and during those place at times, generally, you could say that we're just really in a demand with God. Like we want God to come along and patch up all the areas of our life that, that we feel are bad. And so one of the other things is that God does not respond to addictions. So if I have an addiction that I can go along and be rebellious <laughs> up here with my life and create a whole heap of negative things as a result of this rebellion and then want God to come along and patch it all up for me so that I can go forth and create another series of rebellions, and obviously God's not going to respond to all of that, right? And so there's this great big long list of emotions that we have towards God, demands, expectations, resistance that we have towards God and as a result of that it's like this cloud and if we could just call it just a cloud of damage if you like yep. just feel free to come down there's, there's three or four or five seats down the front there's one right in, in, front, of, in front of the heater here too it's, it looks quite attractive um, <clears throat> so, so we have this great big emotional cloud of damage right? does that make sense to everyone? yeah and for the majority of us, we try to almost intellectually avoid it. So we almost try to tell ourselves that, that that's not the case, you know, that we have the least amount of problems with God for those of us who feel we want to have a relationship with God. But the majority of times we have the most amount of problems with God. So that, that's a big problem. So there we are. We've got these huge issues with God, and, but we still want to be loved. And we still want to be cared for and we still want to have relationships that are meaningful. So what do we do? Well, what we do is we start setting up relationships with other people. Um, I'll just go to the other gender. That we use as a replacement for our relationship with God. And we also have a habit too in this process of setting up relationships with spirit people as well as a replacement for our relationship with God. And what I observe happening here quite a lot in amongst the group that lives down in this region is that you, you are becoming quite addicted to the relationships that are the relationships that replace God. And as a result of that, it's very, very difficult to enter a relationship with God. And in particular, you are very focused on the relationships with spirits and what they give you. And in fact, many of you are believing that you're receiving divine love when the reality is that you're receiving addictive emotions and nice feelings from spirits does that make sense and you're thinking that that's god and the reason why all of those kind of things happen is because we're not prepared to address this cloud of damage that we have with god specifically 
Because those emotions are the most difficult emotions that most of us find to go through. Most of us like to rebel and we like to be self-reliant and we like to, you know, hold on to ideas that, you know, that our, that our parents are nice when the reality is that many of our parents treated us quite badly. So, so in other words, we, we try to maintain a facade position with regard to our emotional damage with God. And if you try to do that, you will not be able to maintain a relationship with God because God is only interested in a pure relationship with you, one without facade and without addictions. Does that make sense to everyone? So, so when we are focused on avoiding this cloud of damage, emotional damage that we have that blocks us from God, we then start using other people, this, whether the people are on earth or in the spirit world, as substitutes. Substitutes. For the relationship. Now, as you can imagine... None of these people are ever going to be able to give you the same kind of love that God is able to give you. And in fact, none of these people are ever going to prove reliable either, particularly until they become at one with God. So unless one of your so-called substitutes is actually at least at one with God, you you'll find their reliability is automatically going to be in question. God is always reliable. So why would you want to substitute somebody that's unreliable for somebody who's reliable? I can ex- I'll explain why we do that. The reason why we do these substitutes is because the substitutes usually do respond to our addictions. And it feels good to have somebody respond to our addictions when we are desiring the addiction to be met. If you no longer desire the addiction to be met, it no longer feels good when somebody tries to satisfy the addiction. But for the majority of us, we're not willing to confront the addiction. And so what we do is we end up in this addictive relationship with people on earth or people in the spirit world where we give them some kind of feelings that they like And they give us some kinds of feelings that we like. And the same applies to the spirits. We give them some kind of feelings that they like and they all give them even control of our life to a large degree and they give us feelings that we like or that we then interpret to be good. Now, in the process of doing this, we set up what I I would classify and what psychologists even classify as a codependent relationship. You all have heard of one of those and many of you have probably had one of those with a partner at some point or a friend at some point in the past, right? Now the problem with codependent relationships is they feel good while you maintain the dependencies but as soon as you try to act in harmony with truth or love in the relationship from a pure perspective, automatically they'll be challenged. So what most people do is they set up these codependent relationships and, yet, and they become the only person that, the, that this person here on earth really associates with. And this applies to spirits as well as individuals. We can associate with both groups of people quite readily. 
And so we finish up associating with the people who supply us with the addiction that we want met. And, when, and the test of it is whenever they do not meet our addiction, my response is anger or frustration or annoyance or some other level of anger. Now, as soon as we have this emotion, we know that we've been in some kind of codependent addiction with somebody and they're not supplying us the thing we need anymore. Does that make sense to everyone? And, and when they don't supply what we badly want still, we get angry. Now, many of you are that angry with God because you don't feel that God supplies you the things you need. And the reality is that what you've done is instead of working through your anger with God about that, you've then just substituted somebody else who will supply you with the thing you need in God's place. So now you, don't, now you can feel inside of yourself that, oh, I'm happy with God, I'm okay with God, you know, we and God get along, that's fine. But the reality is the addiction is telling you that you've actually substituted something that you weren't getting from God in the first place. And in fact, bearing in mind that God loves perfectly, that you're not actually even meant to get if you were being loved. right? And what you're doing is you're saying, I still want that. And then in the process of still wanting that, you decide to get it from a substitute who's willing to give it. And then you set up a codependency immediately by, by doing it with the substitute. Now, because God doesn't respond to our addictions, that is actually going to keep... that The substitute relationships are going to keep us away from God. In a, so what we're actually doing is we're, we're making our own situation or our own connection with God even worse than it was before we began by doing this. Right? And we always do it when we're challenged by some addiction that we have within us that we badly want to have satisfied. And so instead of having the feeling inside of us that it's unsatisfied and grieving the fact that it's not satisfied, and even questioning whether the addiction should be within ours, us at all or not, right? instead of doing all of those things, what we do is we set up a relationship with an individual or group of individuals on the earth or in the spirit world who will give us the feelings we're looking for. Now we don't have to confront the addiction and our addiction is getting met and so we're relatively happy. And when I say relatively happy, we're not angry all the time because our addiction is getting met. Right? But the fact that as soon as somebody withdraws the feeling from us of the addiction getting met, that we respond in anger or annoyance or frustration or we want to lash out at them in some way or reject them from our life in some way, that indicates that we're still in the codependent addiction and we have no desire to release it. So what I'm noticing in my travels down here regularly is that many of you are in this condition. Many of you who believe you're not in this condition are actually in this condition where you are substituting relationships with spirits or relationships with other people on earth so that you don't have to go through this damage that you have with God and actually have a, a deep relationship with God. The problem with that 
is you can believe you're on the path, you know, the divine love path, as many, many of us call it, or believe you're on the way to God, and in reality be in total stagnation at the same time as you believe you're actually progressing. Right. Now, a person who's progressing changes noticeably to every single person around them. They become more loving in their actions with every single person around them. Now, that also means they become more truthful in their actions with every single person around them without feeling angry and frustrated and demanding or any of those other kinds of emotions. They become less angry, less frustrated, less demanding, less expecting of another person as they progress. That is the measure of progress. And if, if progress isn't occurring, then what will happen is that love, you will just see love as the thing growing in the person. And if that isn't happening, you will actually see love being sacrificed all the time. And this is also what I see happening for many in this, in this area when you, get to, when you get together with each other. You sacrifice love. You sacrifice truth and love for the sake of the addiction that you want met with the individual. And each time you do that, you're just allowing this cloud of damage, this cloud of damage that that is there between you and God, to just grow bigger. And you you can fool yourself if you wish... That, that you're progressing towards God while that's occurring, but all you're going to receive is nice feelings from the people with whom you're in an addiction. That's all you're going to receive. And to be frank, after a while, that's going to feel very flat and unsatisfying. That's the way it's going to be. So would you like to ask some questions about that? Or have I just sort of... Stunned you all into silence. <laughs> do, do you notice when I raise some issues like this, one of the emotions that get triggered is, oh, I'm getting told off now. Did you notice that emotion come up? Yeah? Yeah, it's a good emotion to address, isn't it? Yeah. If we go to the back there and then across to read it. There's a microphone, is there? Yep. Thank you. Yep. Hi, AJ. I'm Terry. How are you, Terry? Uh, I've got an addiction, a very strong addiction with withdrawal. Uh, I go into a daydream. I've always been a daydreamer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would that be um, to do with some spirits or something as well? Because uh, no matter how hard I try to stay in the now and be with my feelings, yeah. I stay with my feelings for so long and I can't get any past just crying. Yeah. I can't get any deeper than that. Yeah. Um, with that and then I get drawn away to... Thinking about something else. It's the emotions we judge, Terry, that are the emotions we withdraw from. So, for many of us, uh, so for, for many of you ladies, for example, you don't judge grief as much as you judge fear. And this applies to many men as well. You don't judge. And shame is judged most of all, generally. You know, some kind, whether it's sexual shame or just personal shame, humiliation, that's an emotion we judge a lot. In the, with the emotions that we judge the most, we have the strongest tendency to withdraw from them using some method. Now, for some of us, the method is to go out of ourselves, away from ourselves. 
Right? That's a very common method that's used in society. Just make out you're not there and have a daydream and everything and everything's fine after that. You don't have to focus on the emotion. For some of us, we like to be engaged with people. That way we don't have to feel any of our own emotions. For some of us, we like to eat because that's a great way of avoiding a lot of emotion. For some of us, we like to smoke or to drink or you know, take some kind of physical thing that causes an addiction rather than address the emotion. It just depends on the methods we choose and the methods we choose depend on the judgments we have. So, for example, if I'm a sad person but I hate smoking, I'm never going to choose smoking as a way to avoid my sadness. But if I'm a sad person I don't mind the occasional drink, then I'll definitely choose drinking over smoking as my addiction of choice. Does that make sense? It just depends about of the, on the judgments I have towards a particular thing. Now, for many of us... We have strong judgments with a lot of different emotions. So we have strong judgments of anger. We have strong judgments about fear. We have strong judgments about shame. And, and because we have those judgments, whenever we start to feel one of those emotions, fear, anger or shame, we then go into this place straight away of avoiding ourselves. Now, as soon as you go into a place of avoiding yourselves, you're going to have lots of different people around you, both on earth and in the spirit world, who like to use that position. They, and in, for, for spirits, it's very easy. They can then use your body while you're daydreaming. They can enjoy a bit of time on the earth while you're out of your body trying to avoid some kind of emotion. So my suggestion is to make a list of all of your fears and all of your judgments that you notice about emotion inside of yourself. If you do that, you'll, you'll allow those emotions to be present without so much judgment. Now, there's a difference between allowing it to be present and acting upon it. Does everyone understand that? So if there's an emotion of anger within you, for example, if you allow it to be present, you'd say, yes, I can feel this anger that I have with, you know, I have this terrible anger and rage with Peter, you know. I can feel this anger that I have and I can feel, but, but I can't feel while it's there. So you, you're going to have to allow yourself to feel it, but, but, you, but don't ring up Peter and say, look, I'm really angry with you because and off you go with him because that's now just dumping your rage on another person, which is, which is damaging. But you can feel it. You can just go, okay, I'm feeling it. There's got to be something underneath this anger that's causing me to feel the way I feel. Right? Because if I was in a state of love, I wouldn't be angry, would I? If I was in a state of love. So there's got to be something inside of me happening. And if you can allow yourself to be self-reflective in those moments when you, Terry, go away from your body, the moment just before is the trigger point. So whatever you are thinking or engaged with right before that moment, that was the thing that I would hone myself into. And I go, okay... Something in that, whatever that discussion was that I was having or whatever that event was that occurred just before I went into a daydream, that was me. That's the thing I want to avoid. That's my addiction. I want to get rid of I want to avoid that particular thing. And I use my daydreams to get out of having to feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Rita? <clears throat> um. Um, are you actually saying with what you said before, with addiction and everything, 
and not going through the damaged cloud. To God, are you saying that we are actually, while we are on the path, or while we think we are on the path, that we are actually doing more damage to our soul and to others too? Yes. And the reason is because I read 30 days, 30 years among the dead, mm -hmm. and Madame Blavatsky is one of the people who come, mm -hmm. and she is very much regretting her teachings, and she's trying to help people now in the spirit world yep. to undo the damage she has done. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Remember that every single thing, choice we make to engage one of our addictions usually involves at least one other person, whether that other person is a person on earth or in the spirit world is immaterial, it's still another person. Because to get an addiction met, we need the interaction with one other person generally. Now, now, any time we engage this, uh, the addiction we have within us, we are automatically harming the people around us. And, and we, can, we, can say, we can say or can try to convince ourselves otherwise, but, but, but it's impossible if you look at it. Even personal addictions, for example, let's look at Terry's personal addiction of the daydream, which sounds like a pretty innocent addiction, doesn't it? But every time he steps away, he's stepping away from his relationship, Does that make sense? Which is going to have a, have a negative effect on the relationship at some point. He's stepping away from his connection with himself, which means he allows spirits to use him when, when they shouldn't be allowed to ever use him. He also is stepping away from his connection with God, so therefore will never benefit from God in that place of, of daydream. So, so there's quite a number of people he's damaging besides himself. And that's an innocent addiction. Let, once we get to some of the more comprehensive and, and difficult addictions like rage and anger and, and what they cover, they're all addictions, they're all telling us addictions are not getting met. If an addiction to avoid our terror and avoid our fear, for example, you know, once we look at those addictions, quite often we will do some very damaging things to other people and therefore damaging things to our own soul. So in the course of a day, every time you're feeling frustrated and angry with someone without looking at what's the cause and feeling justified in the action towards that person. You are damaging your soul further than what it was before. So you can say you're on the divine love path, but in the reality, this is what's actually happening. If we look at a scale of what's actually going on in terms of our progression towards love... This is what's going on. In the course of a day, I've drawn this before, we start off here at this point and then we do some loving things and we do some loving things. We're slowly improving in our condition but then all of a sudden we're just in this terrible rage with somebody and we dump it on them and, we, and, and it doesn't matter even if we say it to them. The fact that it's coming out of a soul, that it's aimed towards them is already dumping it on them and, and they might have something in them that allows it, sure, but at the end of the day, it's still our rage. And so all of a sudden there, our soul condition went like that. Now, we have the opportunity here to address the underlying cause as to why we did that. And if we did, there's a chance of us making a big recovery in the same day, right? But for the majority of us, we don't do that because we justify our rage and our anger and of course we have a lot of spirits around us who want us to justify our rage and anger because they like seeing you get dark and grumpy and angry and they like this whole concept of destroying you many of these dark spirits that surround you want you to go darker every day because they want you to be like they are right and so 
So at this moment, this is the point, and I've drawn that before, this is the point of choice, where you have a choice. Now, you have a choice to confront the addiction at that moment. You've just seen your own behaviour. You know it's not loving. You have a choice to confront the addiction in that moment in a true emotional manner and actually make a huge recovery even in the same day in terms of your soul condition because you could actually release the cause and the cause is going to make your... Once you've released the cause, you're going to make your soul condition improve markedly in the course of that day. But for the majority of people at this point, they make the choice to justify their addiction, to justify their rage and anger that they feel of not having their addiction met. And as soon as you do that, you have made a major step negatively in your progress. You've made a major degrading step in your progress. Now, if this is the path that goes to God, this direction isn't any time a good path to choose. Can you see that? It's never going to be a good path to choose. It's always going to create more unhappiness and more un- unloving behaviour in you and also around you, you know, towards others. When you're unloving towards others, what do you notice? They also have a tendency, if they're not developed, to then be unloving with you, of course, because this is what unloving behaviour does. It engenders even more unloving behaviour. And so we end up degrading our condition. Now, in the same moment, we can go, oh, yeah, you know, I've heard about the divine truth and I've heard about God's way of love and I've heard, you know, I've heard about all of the principles about the soul and all those things. I know all of that. And I suggest to you, if you're doing that, you know nothing. Because to actually know something, you'd be changing your heart to not justify the addiction. Right? So every time you you say or convince yourself that you know things, that you know something about truth and, and yet choose to take an unloving course of action when you're faced with an addiction that is being confronted, you are in that moment choosing to be unloving. And if you choose to be unloving, every single time an addiction is confronted your soul can only degrade in its condition of love. It can only go down. It can't go up. The only way for it to go up is to notice our unloving behaviour there, the big event that occurred that triggered our unloving behaviour, to actually want to obtain or see the cause without blaming anybody else and without trying to even enlist anybody else's assistance to do so because this is a personal growth towards God This is something that we are personally responsible to do. Nobody else is personally responsible to tell you anything about how you've been loving or unloving. Nobody else is responsible for your life. Nobody else needs to tell you every single moment you've been unloving and then when you say, and you say, oh yeah, okay, I can see that I've been unloving. And then they go, and then they go, uh, you go to them, well, why was I unloving? Well, they don't even have a responsibility to tell you why. They've only got to be responsible for their own selves and finding out why they've been unloving if they have at any point in time. So, so if we focus on the cause, we have a great potential in every event to have a major change of our condition, a major change, where we release the cause. And once we've released the cause, now our soul has jumped in its standard way of operating 
you know, in terms of a condition of love. There's been growth in the course of this day. And, and this kind of growth, once you release the cause emotionally of why you do something, that kind of growth is permanent because you'll never do the same negative thing again. All right? The reason why we often do the same thing each day that's negative or each week or each month that's negative is because we're yet to release the emotional causes to why we choose to do it. Once we've released the emotional causes to why we choose a negative course of action, we will never make the same choice again because we'll have learnt all the lessons involved with that choice and we'll never make the choice again. If we, if we make this change or transition, every single person around us will notice. Wow. You know, every time I went up to them before and I said a certain thing, they'd always be angry. Now I can go up to them, say the same thing. In fact, I can go up to them and I won't say anything. And they're not angry. You know, and, and so that indicates immediately to every single person around you that there has been some sincere and real change inside of the individual. Right? And so I feel what's happening a lot, Ritu, is this. You, what's happening for a lot of people is they're having this progress to this point they you know they think they're doing well in the course of a day and they attract an event that 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 uh, is part of their souls attracting it you know there, there's a there's something inside of their soul attracting this event and the event causes them to act badly right they act unlovingly so let's define badly as acting unlovingly they act unlovingly but now they start to see the results of the lack of love that they have in that moment. Now's their point in time of seeing the cause, the addiction they have that they want met. And that's the point of time that they could change. They could make a different choice. Many of us are not making a different choice. We make the same choices we've always made. And because we make the same choice we've always made, we just degraded our condition a little further on that particular choice. So we can tell ourselves or convince ourselves that we're on a path to God while at the same time being on a path to self-destruction. Right? Just because we know things here in our mind, it means nothing if our heart isn't getting changed. If our heart and our actions are not changing, then what learning, any mind-based learning is really pointless. Can you see that? Well, what's the point of coming along to sessions learning about the soul, emotions, God, you know, the universe, how all that works, if there's no change inside of the soul that causes you to become a more loving individual? There's really no point. You want to ask some more? Yeah. Uh, the second part of the question is that I sometimes think it's maybe better not to tell everybody about that path because they don't really know all the consequences. <laughs> So you're saying that God, God's path is flawed, basically, this is what you're saying, that God's path is flawed because there's consequences that are not very nice, and so it's far better to not, not tell people the truth about God or God's path just because you're having trouble individually practicing it. Can you see some problems with that reasoning? Yeah, but I think it's my response. If, if I tell people... And then they, all they do is think they're on the path, but all they do is really meet their addictions, and then they are degrading their soul even more by being on the path now, on the path in Advertis Commerce. They're not before. degrading their soul even more. They've always been having these addictions in the past. 
haven't they? You're, like, most of our addictions get established by the times we're seven years of age, right? So, so from the time we were seven years of age, we've been engaged in fulfilling the majority of our addictions that, uh, that were well established by that time or that age. So, so bearing that in mind, any person who comes along who listens to the divine truth who's 25 or 30 years of age has going, has going to have been practicing their addictions for at least 14 to 21 years, right? That person who's 27 or 8 years of age, for 21 years they've been practicing their addictions already. They've already been degrading their soul for 21 years. Yeah, but now they are doing it on top of it with being on the path. So do you know what I mean? No, They're not I just de degrading your soul by being normal. No, you're, you're, you're justifying unloving behavior by saying it's far better to not for somebody to be ignorant than it is for somebody to know the truth. I don't agree with that ever. It's never better for somebody to be ignorant than for them to know the truth. So I can't do any damage to my soul and to other people by spreading the word, even so I might be in error. Certainly you can. Yeah, so what to do then? Practice the truth. Do it right. That's what you can do. What you're trying to do with me now is justifying doing it wrong. That's what you're trying to do. And I'm saying, no, yeah, I can don't that do now. that. Practice the truth. Look at this cloud of damage you have with God and start working your way through it sincerely. Don't, don't go, oh, I've got a cloud of damage with God. Oh, well, that's the way it is the rest of my life. So that's what I do. I, I, I ignore that cloud of damage with God. And I go, well, um, now that I've got this damage with God and I know it's there, I can feel it's there and I can see it's there, now that I know that, it's far better for me to just not tell anybody else about the truth because they might have a cloud of damage with God that they get exposed and feel very uncomfortable with Yeah, too. that's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> exactly. What saying, yeah? That's and it's exactly. very, very flawed, isn't it? Like, because at the end of the day, we all need to confront this cloud of damage we have with God if we're ever going to be happier than what we currently are. Now... Many of us go, oh, but I'm not perfect yet. I'm a work in progress. If I had one dollar for every single time I've heard from somebody that they're a work in progress every time I've pointed out an unloving behaviour, I would be a multimillionaire uh, over the period of my life. I'd be a multimillionaire just from one dollar from every one of those persons. Like... You'd be surprised how much we desperately want to justify maintaining our addictions. Because the reality is, if you look at our day-to-day -day lives, we do want to desperately justify maintaining our addictions most of the time. Because whenever somebody points out one of the addictions, generally we get angry and upset with them. So that immediately tells us that we want to justify the addiction. Does that make sense? And, and we desperately want that. And I'm going, why do you want this? This is never going to result in happiness. Can, can I explain to you my approach to my own relationship with God? It's really very, very simple. So I've still got some cloud of damage myself, right, in this relationship with God. So it's just, that's me there. Same as you, right? So here's a little old me here. 
with this cloud of damage in my relationship with God. There's only one difference between what I do with it and what you do with it. <laughs> only one. Do you know what it is? I refuse to get the addictions met by third parties. Can you see? It's really quite simple. These are the third parties, whether they're on earth or in the spirit world, it doesn't matter where they are. They're just people who are willing to meet your addictions because they have addictions of their own that they'd like you to meet. The only difference between myself and the average person is I do not allow myself to enter these addictive places with people. I have some ethics about it, right? some personal ethics about doing that because I know the big problem with me doing this is that I'm just going to be avoiding my damage cloud if I do that. So, so what I feel is this. My relationship with God is my number one priority. Anything that's unfulfilled in that relationship with God is grief that I need to feel. So any unfulfilled emotion that I have in my relationship with God, I need to work through something to feel it. I need to work through something emotionally to feel it. If I engage in addiction with one of you, rather than feeling that emotion then I have missed my opportunity that God has just given me to get closer to God in any event that has occurred. I've just missed the opportunity. A part of being humble is to trust God that if you sort things out with God, everything else will get good as a result. The problem is the cloud of damage tells us that that is not true. So inside of us, the majority of us do not believe that if we sort things out with God, our entire life will get better. So what we try to do instead is we try to sort our life out without God. We substitute other relationships for the relationship that would benefit us the most because we're unwilling to work through our issues with the person with whom our relationship will benefit the most. Can you see? And so what we're doing is we're just going, we're, we're creating this uh, problem for ourselves. We believe we're on the path towards God. But the reality is you can't be on the path towards God just by having a heap of intellectual knowledge about the path towards God. Right? You can't be on the path towards God just having the knowledge. You can listen for years to divine truth and still never be any closer to God. To actually be closer to God, there has to be some sincerity to work through this damage cloud, this cloud of emotional damage and belief systems that we have towards God. And we have to have some sincerity in working through it. If we're ever going to be closer to, the, to, to God than we currently are. Now, if there is no sincerity in working through that, how can you say you're on the divine love path? You're not. On the divine love path. You've heard about the divine love path. There's a big difference between hearing about it and actually being on it. Remember in the first century I said, the way to God is a very narrow, 
very confined way. Very narrow, very confined. The reason why it's narrow and confined is because God does not meet any single one of your addictions. God also is going to refine you in this process of working towards God. And if you're not willing to embrace the process of being refined and you desperately want the addictions or codependencies to be met with somebody else, then of course you can talk about being, you know, all the divine truths that you've learned here, but, but very few of them are ever going to enter here, into your heart, until you put into practice the principles of that. And I suggest to you that, that constantly getting your addictions met, whether those addictions are physical in nature, like food or alcohol or drink or drugs or any of those kind of things, or whether they're emotional in nature, which is sometimes more insidious. You know, emotional addictions are far more insidious because most, a lot of times we don't even notice them at all. And, and while we're holding on to these addictions... We'll never get a single step closer to God while we hold on to these addictions. Yeah. So if we go there and then across there. Hi, AJ. Uh, my name is Trevor. G'day, Trevor. Um, I came up to Armadale about six months ago and that was a guided thing for me. Yep. Um, so, you know, spiritual relationships are, are good in a lot of ways, aren't they? They are. I mean, yes, and that's I... one of the reasons why I'm here, yep. you know. Because I'm guided to be here, I've been yep. guided to do things, yep. and then things have fallen into place. Exactly. So, so, so I'm not saying don't have a relationship with these people, <laughs> you know, these spirits that are here. Definitely having a relationship with any person is always a great thing, but not when it's in an addiction, not when it's satisfying codependencies that are helping you avoid the cloud of damage you have with God. So there are many people in the audience who are, who are doing that with spirits at the moment. So they, they have these codependent addictions with spirits where the spirit gives them a nice, lovely feeling and then they feel good about themselves and that's just helped them avoid some of the issues they have between themselves and God. I actually find that when I get to a point where I am angry or, or whatever, you know, as soon as that happens, I get the, the darker spirits come in Spot and on. then I know exactly that... I've got an issue to sort out. Exactly. And that's when it starts. And, and it took me a long while to work that out. Yeah, yeah. But that's but awesome. It's, it's, it's hard. But yeah. yeah. But you do actually get there. Yes. So sometimes you'll have a certain thing happen, you know, a certain trigger or an event in your life that occurs, and all of a sudden this darker spirit who's in a rage comes to you, and, you, you know, yeah, there's some, I've attracted him, so there's some reason why... You know, there's something in me now that wants his justification and wants, you know, wants some codependent thing going on with him. And what is it? I've got to find it out. It could be that I'm terrified of him. So that might be something I need to work through. Or it could be that I love him being with me because he makes me feel strong and he makes me feel like I can get on with life and angrily work my way through life. Whatever the reason is, it's great that we have a relationship, but it's not great that we substitute this relationship for our relationship with God. So I don't see any harm in any relationship as long as we don't use the relationship as an, as a, a, an addiction an excuse. supply. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, as an excuse. Yep. And, and this is where I see a, a lot of times people who say they're on the path towards God, on the divine love path, shall we call it, or the way towards God, quite often they are avoiding God 
like the plague, right? And instead, they are trying to get all of these addictions met from everybody else, even other people who say they're on the path towards God. Um, and, and many times I see these codependencies start to be created rather than people actually purely embracing the principles of truth that will help them get through this damage cloud and, and in the end have them feeling a very close bond with God, so close that you can become at one with God in all the ways you act and feel. And everyone around you will notice that. Everyone around you will notice the changes that are being made when you're on that path. On this path, everybody always patting everybody else on the back and going, isn't it so wonderful? We're all doing so good. And none of them are growing at all. And none of them actually have a, a close relationship with God. So that's very damaging. Yeah. So we need to be very careful we do not choose to use our relationships in a codependent manner. And that even applies to our relationship with our partner, our friends, our acquaintances, you know, whenever we go to a group of any kind that we're not involved immediately in trying to get some kind of addiction met in the group. Um, and many times I see this happening uh, when I come down here with, uh, with many, many people here. So it is an issue that you face here of trying to get these codependent addictions met through these interrelationships, which are just avoiding the damage cloud that, that we need to address if we're ever going to be close to God. Yeah. Yeah. And if we go back up to... Is there a second mic? Yep. If we... Uh, oh, you were next for you. Sorry. If we go, you, you next, and then we have come down here next, and then, sorry, Alexis. Alexis was after, after on this side. Hello, AJ. My name's Helen. How are you, Helen? Um... I'm curious how I can practice this in my life if I'm in communication with someone yeah. and see that I'm being, like, catch myself being unloving. How do I practically put that into practice? Do I sort of stop and communicate that I'm being unloving to the person or, I mean... A lot of times in the situation you don't realise, do you? And then it's afterwards you go, oh, there I was again, you know. <laughs> true. So, yeah, so true, I, I, it's yeah. not always possible to make... And you can't really make rules about how to do it. But can I make some suggestions? Firstly, there's the issue of we can discuss about love and what love is. And then there's the issue regarding truth and what truth is. And then there's the issue of when we feel good but we're not in harmony with love and truth. And that's called addictions. Uh, that's when we're not in harmony with love and truth, but we feel good anyway. <laughs> that's when we're getting some addictions met of some kind. Now, initially we're going to be, have a lot of difficulty de- determining love, perhaps, in the sense of what's the loving behaviour. But we often are far more, if we allow ourselves to be, we can be far more open to what our addictions are, emotional addictions are. Now, in any discussion with any person you can generally tell whether you or they are in an addiction with each other just by how you feel when you walk away from the discussion. So when you walk away from the discussion, how do you feel? Do you feel emotionally depleted? Because if you feel emotionally depleted, there is either something in yourself that you're not facing that causes you to try to go into intellectual denial about, which suppresses you emotionally, Or there was a taking going on from the other person from you, which means you were prepared to give to them something that they wanted and that caused you to feel exhausted. 
So it's quite easy sometimes to tell after the event. So my suggestion is that every interaction you have during the course of a day, ask yourself the question, am I feeling, what am I feeling in this interaction? And, and after the interaction is finished, what, are you, what do you feel? Now, if you have an interaction, if you're in an addiction and you have an interaction with a person in truth, you'll find you'll feel angry, probably, with the interaction. Because you want the addiction met and they're not meeting the addiction. So naturally, you're going to get angry. Whenever we have an addiction, so if you think about it, in terms of the way emotions are handled, we've got our grief, we've got our fear, which, and most of the times these are belief systems that are false that stop us from feeling our grief. And then we've got our addictions. And our addictions are belief systems that are false that stop us from feeling our fears. Does that make sense? Now, when our addictions don't get met, the majority of people either go into one or two different states. One state they go into is denial. In other words, they say, uh, you know... I just don't get along with that person. You know, they're a nice enough person. But I don't know if I really want to spend much time with them, you know. Um, and why would that we feel that way? Most of the time it's because a certain addiction is not getting met. But we, didn't, we deny it. We, they don't cause us to be angry, but they cause us to go into a state of denial. The other one is that we get angry. So if it's a big addiction that we have, generally this is the one we'll go to. Right? And so in an interaction with somebody, somebody brings up some truth with us. Remember, truth is the only way fear will be confronted. So you need this truth bef- before you can grow. Right? It's the only way fear, false expectations appearing real, get confronted is through truth. But you get fed the truth and because it's not a nice, lovely emotion, you're getting along with it. Right? It's not a nice feeling from the person that makes you feel like all warm and fuzzies. Right? As a result of that, you get angry with them. That's telling you that this is what's being confronted immediately. So to actually tell in any interaction with any person or anything around you in the course of a day, and you can, by the way, have a lot of interactions in nature that can cause you to get ang- just as angry as <laughs> interactions with you know people, and... If any interaction causes anger inside of you, you know there's got to be a big addiction in there that, that, it's, that you're covering in that moment. Yeah? Now, to notice, you're going to have to be sensitive. That's the key. So to be sensitive to your own feelings emotionally and to be self-analytical and questioning of yourself. Right? After a while, you won't have to do that because as you progress and as you release more and more of your causes of things emotionally, every interaction becomes a lot more perfect with each person and in the sense that you don't have to think about the interaction and what actually happened because you're automatically more in a state of love with every interaction. But when we start, we're not like that. We're in all these addictions that we've had from a very, very young age that most of us have had for 40 years. You know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. How many of you are in your 80s? No 80s? Any 70s? You're in your 70s? So you've had them for 60 something years, these addictions. That's so a long time to have an addiction, isn't it? So, so you know, obviously it's going to be tough confronting them, right? When we've, yeah, when we've lived in them for that long. And by the way, there are many spirits in the spirit world 
who have been in the spirit world for thousands of years and still in addictions in the same way. So they've had thousands of years of their addiction like without dealing with it. You don't want to be like that. You want to be in a more progressed state of love than that. So that's my suggestion is be sensitive and self-analytical with your own emotional feelings whenever you are engaged in anything. Stay connected with yourself and how you feel and analyse how you feel from the perspective of exhaustion. Do you feel tired? Do you feel you know, exhausted through the interaction? What else do you feel in the interaction? What other feelings do you have? Do you have any frustrations or annoyances that you just covered over? You know, in almost any discussion with any person... You can, you can be truth, truthful and honest about what you feel. Now, now I, can, I could, in this audience, point out interactions that many of you have had with each other that I can see plain as day as when the person's even walking up to you to have the interaction, you're already wanting to run away. <laughs> many of you, right? There's many interactions I see happening in the course of the times we're down here where I see one person walking up to the other person and that person's going, not me, not me, not me, not me. (laughs) Already they're in a feeling of not wanting to be involved with that interaction, right, with that person. So what do they do in that situation? Do they stand there and own that and say, I don't want to talk to you, like lovingly, but yeah, you say, I, Look, I, I don't really want to talk to you at the moment. Yeah, the person comes up. Um, yep. so, so Maddie, you come up to me, right? So you come up here. Sorry, Matt. Matt's mic- handling the microphone. Now, Matt's often, often in a bit of neediness with me, aren't you, mate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, perhaps we can grab that microphone so Matt can talk into it. So... So Matt walks up to me, right? So he walks up to me, (laughs) says says hello, and oftentimes I'll give Matt a big hug, right? And then I just say, Matt, I can't do anything more with you right now. And Matt goes, why? And I say, because there's just so much neediness coming out of you towards me that, that I don't even feel like I'm getting the real person here, right? Right at this moment. And it feels overbearing, like, for me, like, if you can... My dear brother, if you can just go away and work your way through that, you know, then we can have some kind of relationship. You know what I mean? Now, if, if I see Matt walking up to me, so I'm over here, Matt's walking up to me, and I'm going, oh, oh, he's just going to be needy again. This is just terrible. And then Matt says, hello, AJ. I say, hello, Matt. How are you going? And Matt then starts, what, what's happening now? This is, meeting I'm, I'm meeting his addiction. So if we have this mic up. Um, so... Um, yeah, then I'm starting to feel good then. You're starting to feel good. Yeah. I'm feeling worse mm. because I'm, I'm, in, I'm having to be fake in my interaction with Matt. Yeah. I'm having to be all cheery when, when I'm not necessarily feeling all cheery and I'm just feeling like, oh, I'm a bit overpowered by the neediness coming out of Matt. And the feeling in me is like, oh, I just like to try and get away. But, I, but because I feel like I should be polite, mm. right, I go... I go, oh, how are you going, man? And we talk about this, talk about that, and we have a half an hour discussion, which, which is unfulfilling for both of us generally. And, uh, and then Matt walks away and goes, I wonder what that was all about. And I walk away going, I know what that was all about. <laughs> and I just avoided a whole heap of things in that. And, and it hasn't benefited both of us. But see, I can be loving and truthful with Matt. And Matt and myself have this relationship where Matt comes up, I give him a hug and say, great to see you, my friend. Can't talk to you anymore now, though, <laughs> because there's so much neediness coming out of you. And sometimes Matt comes even up to me and he says, 
yeah, I know, I can feel it again, you know. <laughs> and off he walks even before we get to have the hug, right? <laughs> Don't you? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so, so he knows there's an addiction there at least. At least he knows. Now, if I pandered to him, if I pandered to this addiction, I, if I was self-reflective, I'd, get, I'd come away going, okay, I'm feeling a bit tired from that interaction with Matt. Obviously, I'm willing to give him his addiction. So there's got to be some reason inside of me that causes me to do this, that causes me to be so willing to not be honest with Matt and not to be honest about how I'm feeling. There's got to be something going on. And it could be that I'm addicted to just looking good. Right? And so I don't want Matt to think that I'm bad. And so what I do is I go, oh, I can't tell Matt that, you know, because otherwise Matt will think that I'm bad. And I, oh, I've got this lovely addiction that I want everybody to like me, right? And so, so then I engage the situation. Oh, Matt, how you doing? Isn't it great? You know, good to see you. So we haven't seen you. And we talk about all these nothing things, you know, for, for the next 15 minutes or so. And in the end, myself and Matt have not benefited from that discussion. And in fact, if you look at it, I have just engaged a potential soul injury being exposed and in the same moment denied that I have it and denied my opportunity to address it. I've denied my opportunity to become more truthful. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so for both of us too. For, bo- for both of us. And I've denied Matt's opportunity mm. to actually understand what, he, what is coming out of him. Does that make sense? I've denied him the opportunity to see himself as he truthfully is from the perspective of how it feels from somebody else's perspective. Does that make sense? That's what I've done. Okay, thank you. It's very distracting, whatever is happening down here, because it's right in front of everybody. Thanks, Matt. Thanks a lot. Okay. And where are we up to? Thank you. You're right with that? Yeah. So there is a need to be some kind of self-analytical action that needs to be taken. Yeah. And a willingness to be honest at all times. Yeah, most most of us are so... We have so many addictions to other people liking us that we're not willing to be honest and truthful with other people at all in a loving manner, even in a loving manner. And the only time that that comes out is when we're in a rage and then we say all these words which we later regret, but the reality is most of the time we feel them anyway, we just never say them. And the reason why you know, it comes out in a huge ball of rage is because we don't honour them when they're actually present, when those feelings are actually present. Yeah? And, and re- bear in mind that I could feel from Matt something else and, and, I, and I could have a problem of going, well, you know, I could have a problem with that. Like I might want from Matt a feeling that he likes me, for example. And so, and so I'm unwilling to be truthful about what else I feel as a result. I might, I might want some feelings from Matt that are unloving as well like, towards Matt and I need to have a look at that in this process. You know, I'm not, we've all got this damage cloud and the only way to do it is to stop our addictions. We need to stop the addictions with the people because then all of the addictions get exposed and then we start seeing what we actually have with God. Yeah? Then we have a clear path. Then we have, yeah, we have a much clearer path to God. Once we start rubbing out this damage cloud and this damage cloud gets thinner and thinner and thinner... Obviously, we have much more opportunity to know God, to understand God, to feel God, for God to feel us, 
you know, because because uh, if we've got a lot of very heavy emotions about God, God's going to be going, yeah, I don't know if I want to feel that one <laughs> from her, you know, like you, you know that one that's she can stay that can stay with her because the the, the feeling is that every single time we have any emotions towards any individual, including God, obviously those people feel them. You'd feel each other well enough, right? Every time somebody has a certain... Like if, if Matt comes up to you and he has a feeling of neediness, you know when he's needy, don't you? Straight away. So, so, so surely God knows. Uh, if you know, God surely knows that emotion. And that, and that emotion is preventing the relationship with God. Once we work through the damage cloud, we have a much better opportunity to have a relationship with God. Yes? AJ, I feel like I have no concept of how to be God-reliant in a practical level. I feel like I learned as a child to um, take care of myself and that I was the only person that could do that. And I've done that and it hasn't worked very well. But Mm -hmm. nevertheless, I feel like I don't know how to be God-reliant. So let's address the two issues. The first issue is you said you've become self-reliant, but it hasn't worked very well. (laughs) Yep, so if you... Sorry, that is very true. I'm talking like in the last week I went, you know what... I've been taking care of myself, doing everything for myself. I'm like I'm the only one that knows what to do for me, that type of thing, not allowing. Yeah. Yeah. And I went, gosh, this is really not working. And, and it hasn't worked too well. And I don't know what to do now. Yeah, so and let- I was like, yeah, maybe God reliance. I was like, but I don't even know what that is or how it works or anything. Well, what I've found with God reliance is you need to firstly understand one basic truth, and that is what you're coming to terms with right now. And that is that it's impossible to be self-reliant and to be completely satisfied. So And actually, it's impossible to be self-reliant and do a very good job with it <laughs> as well. And, and that applies to everyone who even becomes perfected in the spirit world. It's still very, very difficult because they miss out on all of these beautiful joys as well. So we acknowledge inside of ourselves that self-reliance is not, in the long term, is not going to be very beneficial. Most of us have tried it for a long enough time <laughs> to know that it's not that successful. All right? So, so then we go into this idea of what is God-reliance. Well, um, I'd love to give a talk in the future about God-reliance and what that is completely. But, but if I can give a bit of a summary for you. How it feels for me is this. I trust that everything that God brings me in the course of one day is an opportunity to get closer to God in the course of that day. Everything. So that includes every negative event. Every event that makes me unhappy is an opportunity to get closer to God as well. Do you, do you see that? See, for, for most people, what they do is they get the, the negative events and they have a good yell at God and say, Why have you brought me this negative event? Not understanding that only these negative events only really occur in terms of their responses inside of myself, can only occur because I'm out of harmony with love or truth in some way. So, every event, the way I see it, is that every single event is a positive event bringing me closer to God. It gives me an opportunity. And every single event, the way it feels for me, is every single event it gives me an opportunity to make a choice between engaging my relationship with God or avoiding it. Every event. So every interaction I have with every one of you is, a, is an opportunity for me to either engage my relationship with God or to avoid it. Now, the reason why I've learned to be so truthful with everyone and so honest and straightforward with everyone is because I feel myself getting closer to God every time I do it. It's not because I believe it's the right way. 
Do, do you understand? In fact, the, the way it's been for me is this. Many people believe that I believe inside of myself that what I'm teaching is the right way. This is how it actually feels for me. Can I explain? And this has been the case for the last 2,000 years for me. So it's been well-established way. This is the way I see myself. This is little me. In comparison to the infinite God that I wish to connect to, I am this finite being that started out in my first century life very, very tiny and has grown just a little since then. Right? In comparison with my relationship with God and who God is and what God's capacity is. So little me is there trying to discover truth. And what I've learnt to do is I've learnt that God can be trusted in every single aspect of my life. Right? And I learned that quite young in the first century, that I felt that this feeling. It began with a logical thought for me, in the sense that I used logic to, to look at the universe around me and see the love in the universe around me. And I observed that humans were different to the love that I observed. So, so instead of looking at humans and judging God through my relationship with humans... I looked at the rest of the world that was less affected by humans and then looked at what that told me about this God. And what that told me, firstly intellectually, was that this God was more loving than any other person that I had ever met as a logical. It wasn't a feeling yet, it was just a logic. And also that this God was... Well, actually, let's put it in a, in a way that I felt it in the first century. Was this God was more clever than every person that I've ever met. Right? And this God was more truthful than every person I'd ever met. Because what I noticed around, around about me was there was this automatic um, reflection of truth in my environment of every single person when something happened and that caused me to believe that God was more truthful than every person I met. So what I then did was I started to experiment with that. By firstly, by, that caused me to have some faith with the quality of faith and the quality of trust. That this being was the being that I could trust above all others, even above myself. Right? So in other words, I started realising that I... Little, little me, the way that I could grow is not by trusting myself, but instead by first trusting the God that I wanted to connect to. First trusting that that God was loving, that God was truthful and more clever than I could ever imagine. And then I could trust that God was going... Because God obviously was more loving than any other person I'd ever imagined, God had more desire for me to learn from God than any other person had any desire for me to learn. And so what I did was I engaged this process with God where I stopped being hung up on what I believed. Do you understand? So I no longer was focused on what I believed. And I'm still now, right now, even though you might believe differently, I'm still not hung up on what I believe. 
I am willing to change what I believe the moment that it's proven to me to be false. Yeah? And that's one thing I learnt right from the first century. The only way that you can change the most rapidly is by getting rid of all the things that are false, that are untrue, that are things that you believe or feel that are, that are not benefiting you right at this moment. And when I say not benefiting you, anything that's false, anything that's not in harmony with love is not benefiting you. You can hold on to it as long as you like, but it's not going to benefit you. So what I learned to do was to stop believing myself. Now, I know people are going to take this uh, discussion and twist it around into what, something I did not intend. But what I mean by stop believing myself, I stopped believing that I was somehow the uh, person who knew all truth. I stopped believing that I was somehow more clever than every other person around me. I stopped believing that I was better or worse than any person around me, in fact. What I did was I started to forget myself so much in the process, in the, in the sense that I was more interested in what God felt about everything than I was in what I felt about it. Can you see that if you're more interested in what somebody else feels about something, then you'll take on a lot of their beliefs. Can you see that? Now, there's huge dangers doing that with another person because they're just as injured or sometimes even more injured than you are. And if you, you, you know, give up what you believe in for, for the sake of what the other person believes, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble doing that. But because God is perfect in love and because God is more clever than any other being on the earth or in the spirit world and because God knows all truth, you are very safe doing that with God. You're able to do that safely. You're able to have the concept inside of yourself that you can stop believing yourself whenever you see something or feel something that seems to be contrary within you. So any time that you feel any emotion that's not in harmony with love, that tells you, that's your measuring stick. That tells you that you have a belief inside of yourself that you're hanging on to that from God's perspective must be false. So you know how many of you start getting a real... Like if there's some injustice that occurs, many of you start getting really angry, yeah? You feel that anger rise within you? Well, that anger is not love, right? So that immediately tells you that there's an emotional belief inside of little you that is completely out of harmony with God's perspective of the universe. And everyone goes, but it's just. And I'm saying, it might be just, but the fact that you don't feel love means that there's something out of harmony, belief system-wise, inside of yourself that is no longer God's belief, but yours, that you're holding on to. Because the reality is when you're one with God, do you be, you'll be going, do you think you'll be going around going, that's unjust, I'm going to fight that, and that's unjust, I'm going to fight that. And that's un-. Do you think you'll be doing that? You'll be pointing out the injustices without the anger. 
coming out of you. Yes? Can you see that? When you're in a state of love, you'll point out injustice, but you won't be angry about it. Can you see that? When you're not in a state of love, you're pointing out injustice, but you're angry about it. And if you're angry about it, the anger is telling you that you're not love, and so there's a false belief inside of little self who wants to disagree with God on a subject, whatever that subject is. Can you see that? So, so what I do instead of doing that is I go, no, if it's an argument between me and God, God's always right. And I'm prepared to always be wrong. Do you understand? The majority of you are not prepared to be always be wrong when it comes to an argument with, between you and God. All right? When you're completely humble, you will get to that point because you will have to get to that point to have a relationship with God in the end. You'll get to the point where you realise that if there's an argument between you and God going on, that you're always wrong. And when you understand that emotionally, that you're always wrong, you can then analyse and feel inside of you where you're wrong because every time you do not feel a feeling of pure, sincere, wholehearted love, that's telling you that the emotion inside of you is wrong. That's God's message to you every single time. God's saying... Every time you do not feel sincere, pure, wholehearted love in any situation, God's already showing you that you have a belief inside of yourself that's automatically out of harmony with God. Because God feels sincere, complete, wholehearted love for everything. And when you're at one with God, you'll feel the same. So every time you don't feel that, and this is where it's pretty easy to be honest. A lot of us go, oh, but I don't know what love is. And, I, and to be frank with you, I feel that's a big cop-out. You can feel when there's not a wholehearted feeling of love compared to a feeling of love. You can feel it. All of you are capable of feeling it, yes? You know, like, you've had situations in your life where you've had a pure moment. You, you remember those times where you've had a pure moment in an interaction with another person or another thing or some of one of God's creations or just looking at a view or, or something like that, most of us have had at least one of those interactions in our life where we had that sincere, pure feeling of love come out of us. That's the feeling that should be present in everything we say, do, think. And if it's not, then there's a belief inside of little us that's out of harmony with that. That's out of harmony with that love. And we're arguing with God on that, on that matter because if we weren't arguing with God, we would already have God's viewpoint. God's viewpoint enters you really well when you don't argue with it or when you don't fight it. So that's all I do. So all I do is I remind myself that whatever belief I have right now will potentially have to be changed. Now, there are certain beliefs I feel right now will never have to be changed because I've managed to have them all through my growth towards God over 2,000 years. But there are certain feelings in me now that I know for certain will have to change because I I recognise that they are completely out of harmony with the feelings of love for everything around me. And I know they're going to have to change. But arguing with God about them is not going to help you change them. Yeah? 
And I find that the majority of people spend a lot of their time arguing with God in reality. And because there's this cloud between you and God, you don't think it's arguing with God. Right? Because it's sort of like, oh, I can't really feel God. So you know. but, but if you allow yourself to feel this, you'll see that many times you don't feel that, yes, in the course of a day. How many of you wake up this morning going, oh, I just love jumping out of bed every single day. I've got a lovely life to live today. It's going to be fantastic. Like turn around if you're with a partner and you, just, you look at her and you just go, God, she's gorgeous. And, and, and you know, if she's not already awake, you just wait for her to wake up. Until she, so you give her an opportunity to say that to her. How many of you feel that in the course of every single day you wake up? Because that, that's what you're going to feel when you're completely in harmony with God. You're going to feel like jumping out of bed, getting, getting things on. Or if there's something very interesting in bed next to you, then you might not jump out of bed, but you'll definitely be very interested in what's going on around you. You won't, you won't be always trying to shut it down, right? And this feeling of love, many of you have had at some point for something in your life, particularly if you cast your mind back to your childhood, Usually most people have had at least one thing happen in their childhood where they had that really pure feeling. That's the feeling that will be present with you all the time once you're at one with God. That will be present with you everything that you do. In fact, it will be impossible for you to engage any other thing without that feeling present, in fact. So if you can focus <coughs> on... Every belief inside of yourself, assume there's a potential in the future you're going to have to change it, then that will help you give up this concept that you know what is right. And if you can tell yourself also that there is only one other person in the universe who knows everything that's right, and it's not Jesus, it's God. And this is why I feel quite sad that I'm often attributed as being God because it, the reality is only God knows everything and only God knows everything that is right. We are constantly going to, even once we're at one with God, after that we're constantly be going to be learning new things all the time. And once we're at one with God we'll be less resistive to learning the new things. Before we're at one with God we are the most resistive to learning new things. And we've got to give up the resistance. And what's helped me a lot to give up my resistance is to firstly just, even when I don't even feel trust for God, I at least intellectually tell myself, I can trust God. Even if I don't feel faith in God, I intellectually at least tell myself that I have, can have faith in God because at the end of the day, I do observe these things in my universe around me that tell me that I can have this faith and trust in this God of love. And therefore, the only reason why I'm not connecting with God has to be inside of myself. Now, many of you would like to believe the only reason why you don't connect to God is because other people are to blame. <laughs> but does that sound very logical? You're, it's like you saying, I want a relationship with this person and this person over here is to blame for me not having it. Does that make much sense? 
It doesn't, does it? Now, that person there certainly might be a sharer in the blame of you not having a relationship with them, but they certainly cannot be a sharer in the blame of you not having a relationship with God. Right? And so, so every single time you blame other people, and in reality, if you think about it, these people are also God's children, every single time you project anger, rage and other emotions at that person, you are actually not honouring this relationship you say you have with God. Because if you honoured that, you couldn't treat other people of God's children in a, any, in a negative way ever. You can see that too. So, so what I would do is just focus completely on the fact... Your question was firstly about self-reliance. So my, my statement is reflect upon what the universe tells you about whether you can rely on God. Once you've determined whether you can rely on God or not, you give up the concept that you have to believe in yourself in order to have a happy life. And do it all myself. Do everything, everything in your life myself. yourself. Yes, yes. The reality is that this, this relationship with God will teach you self-responsibility, but you won't believe you have to create everything yourself. In fact, once you get closer and closer to God, your soul does create a lot of things itself, but you don't feel like you have to do it all. You know? that's, a, that's another false belief inside of little me. That's keeping me little, actually. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. can feel that. Yeah. Um, we were going to Alexis next. Um, hi, AJ. How you doing? Oh, so so. So sorry. Yeah. Um, my question was about um, what you were saying. Well, it mixes in with the fact that um, where we go into addiction instead of having a relationship with God, mm-hmm. and that um, <clears throat> and that ideally your life should be very dynamic and full of love. So. I was just kind of feeling into that and and feeling like um, I feel like I have this addiction around I get into a certain living situation and I'll just kind of perpetuate that pattern. Um, Can you describe the living situation? Well, it's just... um, I'm bringing this up also because I'll get into a pattern, a living situation, let's say, you know, where um, I'll have a comfortable house and... You know, there's a, you know, whoever I'm living with somebody, um, and you know, it's working out comfortably. I'll have a job that's reliable, um, but then at a certain point, I feel like everything gets stale and old, mm-hmm. and um, my pattern is to just kind of then pick up and just start all over and find a new place. And I'm just, I don't feel like that's necessarily love either. You know that whole. I so agree. I, just, I don't. I just. I can't really see what's going on with all that the whole process there. How do you spell different? It's different, isn't it? Yeah. Different is not progress. Now I need to discuss this with you. You believe different is progress. And so my suggestion is, is you need to look at your addictions to making something different by changing your actions rather than progressing 
by changing your... If you look at what progress does, the only way you can progress is by changing your emotions. Right? So most, many men are addicted, actually, to changing their actions to make things different without attempting to change their emotions to make progress. So the reality is inside of yourself, you have some very, very strong addictions that you do not wish to change, and are emotions, but those addictions cause you to get into a place of stagnation. And then what you do, because you now feel stagnant and you don't like the feeling of being stagnant, you want to change an action so that your life becomes different without addressing the addiction that created the life that you currently have. As a result of that, you are creating a mirror image of your life every place you go to. So in other words, you move to a new location, but it's the same life. And then you move to a new location because you're bored with that life, and then you create the same life. Does that make sense? And this is a serial thing that's happening. It's happening over and over again. So that's telling you that you're not wishing to address the actual addiction that creates that life. So my suggestion is to stay longer the next time in the next life you create (laughs) and feel the addictions that created it rather than avoiding that life and moving on to a new one and therefore skipping over the addictions for another period of time. Does that make sense, Alexis? Yeah, I guess um, it's just hard to see, you know, what they are. The problem with our addictions is most of the time everybody else can see them, (laughs) but we can't see them ourselves. So this is where you have to, you know, God can see every one of them, of course, but often because of our cloud, you know, the cloud of damage we have, we don't want to know from God. But many times people in our lives are sharing with us what our addictions are and we're in complete denial of them because we believe they're wrong. And this is like I said earlier... um, you know, at some point we have to see that we're wrong. If we want to progress, you, to change, you have to be wrong. It's great to be wrong. It's great to even know that you're wrong because then you can change. So, so what happens in that process when, when the different occurs? Why does it suddenly feel like it's better for a while or something like that? Um, you're doing exactly what many six-sphere spirits do. Avoiding their sadness. This is what your your primary reason for doing this is to avoid your sadness. I see. What a six fear spirit does is he gets bored with one aspect of his life, and so he just goes and finds something new to do, and then he's no longer bored. And then when he gets bored with that new thing, he goes and finds another thing that's new, and then he's no longer bored. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that sound familiar? It does. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. What he's doing, his belief is that different, I, I can avoid this boredom feeling by doing something different, is his belief. When, when the reality is, there's an emotion in him that creates his boredom that needs to be released, and he's unwilling to address it, just like you are unwilling to address yours. So my suggestion is to start praying about what emotions those are and ask God have a sincere desire for God to expose them. Can I point out something? Whenever you have a sincere desire with God, you'll be answered pretty much instantly and definitely within the same day. 
when it's a sincere. So if you sincerely want to know what is the cause of you choosing things different rather than progressing, and you ask God to show you, within one day, God will have shown you all the things you need to know. The problem is, is whether we're sensitive enough to realise what God's showing us. That's our problem. And, and if we believe we're right, we're going to be very insensitive to God showing us that we're wrong. And that's a part of your problem, Alexis. Just like it's a part of the six-fear spirits problem. They go from different experience to different experience to different experience because they believe they're right. right? They believe that that's the only course of action that they can take. And they believe that they don't have any emotions that are causing that. Does that make sense? And so they keep doing it. When a person from the higher celestial spheres goes to them and says, look, you've got an emotion creating this. This is an emotion inside of you of dissatisfaction and you're dissatisfied because you haven't got a relationship with God. They go, what? No, no, that's not true. You know, I don't believe that. You're just one of these crazy Christian spirits that won't rhyme. You know, that God doesn't even care about. That's why you can go to the higher spheres, you know. And, and they have all this viewpoint of not wishing to analyse and look at themselves as a result. And, and those kind of spirits have been with you a lot of your life, right? those same spirits, believing that if, if Alexis takes a different course of action, that, that he'll actually progress when the reality is... Alexis now knows that every time he seems to choose a different court of action, he ends up with the same result every <laughs> single time. And that's telling me that something in the soul isn't progressing. Yeah, and if you had a true longing and desire from God to know what that thing was, God within this day could show you. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I was just reflecting also on, on the fact that, you know, the last place I used to live, you know, if, if I was to transplant it to to Australia, this, would, this little place here would be the most closest reflection of it. <laughs> and they moved halfway across the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so amazing what happens when we choose to not uh, grow in our causal emotional state, in our state of love, and we choose to just take different actions. We end up creating exactly the same thing, even right down to the same kinds of people surrounding us than what surrounded us before. Everything's the same. And I don't know about you, but I don't go much for everything being the same. Mm. And the beauty of this feeling, the feeling, you know, the, great, the great thing for you right now is you've gone and created a different action, got the same result. Created a different action, got the same. You've done this a number of times now, to, enough times now, surely, <laughs> to go, yes, maybe this changing the action is not the thing to do. I could become a travel agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can see why some people do to choose certain types of jobs because it keeps them doing different things without actually having any need to change their emotional condition. It makes them feel engaged in their life without them actually progressing. Yeah. yeah. It's far better to notice that as you are doing now. Pray about it and have a sincere desire for God to tell you the answers about it because if your desire is sincere, and I want to remind each of you again, you will within this very day get the answer if your desire is sincere to know. Yeah. Yeah. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Thank you. If we just come down to Dave in front and then, then across. 
Um, I've got two questions, AJ, maybe three. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about sincere, how do we develop that sincerity? Dave, many of the questions you ask are not sincere, uh, just as that one isn't. Can I ask you instead a question back at you? You've asked me many questions over the course of my relationship with you that I've known you. How many of those things have you actually put into practice? Do you feel that you have changed significantly in the time that we've known each other? There's been some changes, but, but not, I haven't really tackled any of the bigger issues. Okay, so I would agree with that. You've had some changes, but the big issues that are inside of you still are not addressed. I agree. So, so my next question to you then would be, does that then demonstrate sincerity that you are wanting to be sincere? And it's a hard question. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just trying to help you ask the hard questions that you need to ask yourself. You see, and this is something I need to point out to a lot of people. There are many people on the planet who believe they understand divine love and they believe they are receiving divine love. They do sincerely believe they are receiving it. But what I notice is this. There is where they began their relationship with God many, many years ago. For some of you it was only a few years ago, but for many people I've met it's been you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. They feel they began this relationship with God understanding divine truth, right? And what I see now, looking back at their life, I see very little progress. If God's way up here, I see very little progress in that time. And in fact, in many of them, this is exactly what I see. This, 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 this. And in the end, here, where we are now, they're almost identical to the person I met 30 years ago. Have you, do you know people like that in your life who seem to be identical to when you first met them? Yeah. We need to be honest with ourselves that that means we do not have a sincere desire to change. So what is a measure of sincerity? A measure of sincerity is our actions and results. Do you know what I mean by those two things? In our day-to-day life, if our actions are not changing automatically, then there is little sincerity in us wanting to change. And if the results of what we do are much the same as they've always been, then there is an indication that we are making very little change. So therefore, we are not receiving divine love. Because divine love causes us to change right? automatically. If you receive it, it will cause you to change. So we need to be honest with ourselves firstly. So any question regarding sincerity, Dave, has to be begin with honesty with self. I would like to be honest with you and say... You are addicted to your relationships that are surrogate relationships for God with spirits. You love your relationship with spirits so much that you are not willing to let go of them 
Because if you do let go of them, it will trigger lots of grief for you. So you want them to stay in this relationship with you. So you, you actually have a number of spirits around you, as you know. You've had many spirits around you the entire time that I've, that I've known you. So here's Dave. You've got groups of spirits around you who make you feel certain things. They make you feel powerful. They make you feel strong. They make you feel like you know what you're doing. They make you feel like you know better than other people. And as a result of that, they feed all of these addictions in Dave, where Dave himself doesn't feel very good about himself. Right? And because Dave himself does not want to feel those particular emotions, you prefer to have these spirits give you the addictions every single day rather than develop a relationship with God. Does that make sense? You prefer yeah. that. Yeah, but I... And I I don't want to be aware of that. I was thinking I, I could say I'm not aware of these spirits feeding these addictions. but You are aware of them feeding your addictions. You're definitely aware of them. And, and in fact, if you're not aware, we, you and I have had at least 20 conversations where I've told you they are. So you obviously don't trust what I'm saying to you if, if you're not aware. The reality is they are feeding your addictions very, very heavily. And the only reason why we engage such a condition is because it helps us avoid grief. It helps us avoid the feelings we don't want to touch. Does that make sense? So, so the moment that you choose to actually stop avoiding and be more honest with yourself and stop avoiding the actual emotions you do really feel will be the moment that these spirits and, and their relationship with you will be instantly challenged. Now, in the past, you've come to the point almost of challenging it and then usually within a day or so, you've acceded back to the addiction because you don't wish to feel that intense grief and I, about and a lot of different issues that you have inside of yourself, right? And because you do not wish to feel that, you are not being sincere about your relationship with God. To be sincere, to be more sincere, you'd actually have to tell yourself the truth. And that is, I actually don't care if I have a relationship with God or not at this point. All I care about is preventing my grief. And I'll do anything to make sure my grief is prevented. And if that means having some relationship with some spirits, I'll do that. If that means having a relationship with some people here who will give me nice feelings, I'll do that. That is the place of honesty. Honesty and sincerity go hand in hand with each other, yes? You said you had three questions. <laughs> do you remember the last two now? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how, how appropriate they are, they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of them was kind of in the past handful of days... I've, I've realised that um, I don't want a personal relationship with God. I don't trust God. No, this is where I say many of us are not being honest about how we really feel about God. Right? We like the idea of having a relationship with God. We like the idea that we'll someday be sort of perfect or, or something like that. Oops, I'm making a mess of some of these pieces of paper down here. Um, so we like the idea of it, but the, the unfortunate thing is 
that we really don't want it. And, and that's because of the cloud of emotional damage that we have in between us and God. Now, for us to deal with an emotion that we really don't want God, we're going to have to challenge a lot of our beliefs about God. Many of you come from a background where you believe that you're going to get punished if you say to God you don't rely on a relationship with him. Many of you believe that because of your Christian background. Right? Many of you believe in a punishing God because you had a punishing dad or a punishing mum. And so you believe that uh, if you don't do what God wants, that you're going to get something bad's going to happen to you. Yeah? Many of you believe that. Now I'm saying certainly that bad things can happen to a person walking away from God, but only because of the choices they make that are unloving. There are many people in the sixth dimension of the spirit world who are in a loving state at least with each other and who enjoy their lives and nothing bad happens to them and they're not connected with God. God doesn't punish people just for not wanting to connect to God. Right? And the reality is God gave you the gift of free will so that you could choose to not connect with God if that's what you wanted. So, so my suggestion is to embrace the emotions you feel between yourself and God and actually work your way through them by embracing them. So be truthful with God about them. Yeah, the reality is I think you're a cruel bastard who basically, you know, if you look at 50 million children die every year on this planet and so at the end of the day, you know, you don't care about 50 million people every year. You know, that's, you know there's lots of people who get murdered. You don't fix that up. You know, there's, there's, there's governments on the planet that murder people, murder people over and over and over again and you don't, you don't do anything about that. You know, for many of us, if we voiced these emotions, we'd start connecting with our cloud of barriers that we have with God. But what we do is we suppress those emotions and then we say to ourselves, well, how can I be sincere? The way to be sincere is be honest about how you really feel with God. Yep. Many of us feel pretty negative about God. We're going to have to go through those emotions and actually come to terms with the truth about those emotions and then release them before we're going to have a different feeling. You can intellectually manufacture something beyond that, but it's not going to work. Yep. What's the third question? Uh, it was about something you were talking about earlier, um, about uh, if we feel, feel drained after we've had an interaction with somebody. Mm-hmm. So conversely, I... I suppose if we feel good, maybe we've been taking from somebody. Definitely. Very good to understand that. So if there's two of you having an interaction and you come away from the interaction going, God, I've just got to have another one of those, it felt really good for me. Like, and that's a very good indication that before that point in time, you weren't feeling good. And after that point in time, you got a nice feeling from somebody that made you feel better. So that tells me there's an addiction in play. There was also an addiction in play in the other person in that they gave you the feeling without going, no, Dave, I can't engage that with you. So there's an addiction in play in them as well, giving you the feeling. Now, there will be many people, and in fact, we, we often uh, comment, don't we, babe, how often people come along to a seminar because of how they feel after they've been. Uh, so many people feel quite good after they've come along to a seminar and that's the only reason why they've come. They haven't made, come to make sincere change or 
you know, confront their relationship with God in any way or anything like that. They just come because it feels nice to talk about things about the soul, and it does. But, but if you go away and then you feel bad again and you don't address anything, then that tells me that you're in an addiction to avoid all those bad things. It's the same principle. If there's two people in, a, in any interaction and one goes away feeling good, what do you think? And the other one goes away feeling bad, what do you think's happened? One's taken from the other. If there's two people in an interaction and they both come away feeling good, what's potentially occurred? Two possible things. They've been in truth and love with each other. That's one potential. And the other one potential is they've been in a codependent addiction with each other. That's the other potential. We've got to know which one it is. Don't we? Now, I don't know if you notice, but every time you talk about truth and love, you get confronted, do you not? Now, do you think people who are in a codependent addiction would confront each other? No. They don't like confronting each other. What do they like doing? They like pleasing each other. (laughs) You get to make each other feel good then. So, So if... You have been in a conversation that has been completely truthful and completely loving and you've been completely honest about all your emotions and both of you have gone away feeling good. That is the best kind of interaction you could have ever had. That's a very good indication that you've both been in harmony with truth and love in that interaction. But if one of you comes away feeling bad... And one comes away feeling good. There's a definite proof there that it wasn't a loving interaction necessarily. Yeah? And some of you are going to say, but what if you get confronted with truth and the other person feels good about it and you feel bad about it? Well, of course, that's an indication that, that if they come away feeling... If the person comes away feeling good when they have given to the other, that's always pretty much going to be the case, by the way. Every time you give sincerely to another person, you will always generally come away from that feeling good. And I'm not talking about those interactions because those interactions are always pure on the part of the person giving. If you've given to somebody and you come away feeling bad, what does that tell you? There's got to be an addiction in your giving. Otherwise you would never have gone away feeling bad. Okay. Okay, we're going to come down here. Oh, sorry, you were next, weren't you? Yes, let's go next and then down. Um, oh, hi. Um, I'm Sherry. Uh, I just wanted to ask actually, I think you just answered my second question about being addicted to sort of bad feeling as well, like being addicted to something which causes bad feeling in the short term, like. I've had an addiction to helping people, which has a lot of the time been giving, but so I've been feeling bad in the short term, but on a deeper level I've felt noble or something, you know. Um, And and that's been a negative addiction kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you something about faith um, in relation to what you were explaining earlier about 
your relationship with God. And I just wanted to ask, even though we, we can't believe ourselves in ourselves as being right and in truth unless we are in harmony with God's truth, mm-hmm. would you say that you have faith in yourself as God's creation that you can become at one with God? Would you, would you say that is a faith? No, there's yourself? times when I don't even have that. And there's times, I mean, in times in the past where I don't have that. So I don't believe faith in yourself is a very productive thing in the long run either. I I believe faith in God is productive. Because if you you think about it, let's say little me has a belief inside of myself that I'm unworthy. How many of you feel that one with God? Yep, so pretty much everyone. So we feel unworthy. So that's little you having that feeling. Now... You're all aware intellectually, aren't you, that that feeling must be wrong. It must be out of harmony with love because it's blocking a relationship with God and so forth. So all of us are aware of that. But has it helped us get any closer to God on the issue? Obviously not because what God's opinion of us is that you are the pinnacle of my creation. That's what God feels about you. You are the best thing that I ever created. Would you say that God has faith in us then? Um, well, no, I feel God has faith in her own creations. God has faith that she, actually, when I say faith, I don't even think it's faith, it's reality. The, the fact is, God knows what she created and it was good. She said it was good the moment she created it. And, uh, and, and my feelings is, from God's perspective, God's never changed on that opinion. You know, once God has forms an opinion on a certain subject, that opinion stays for good. So, so, so God feels you are good. You are the pinnacle of my creation. So God doesn't need faith. Sorry? God doesn't need faith. God doesn't need faith. God knows. You only need faith when you don't yet know. Isn't that not correct? Once you know, you no longer need faith because you now have complete knowledge. You know for certain. So you only need faith to help you over the things that you don't know yet. Can you see that? So in other words, faith can be built through logic. So, for example... I know, looking at the universe, I see a God of love. Like I see the fact that two people on the planet can love each other unconditionally and give to each other unconditionally without any strings attached tells me that God must be the same. Right? Secondly, I know that God is very clever. You know, I look at the human body and we haven't even discovered how it works yet. Like we've been studying it for years now. Like when I say years, honestly, it's been a couple of hundred thousand years the human body's been discovered and most people still have no idea how it works. The brain itself, hardly anybody knows how it works. They, they guess all these things and everything, but they're still discovering more and more. There's so much untapped knowledge. So God knows, we don't. Now, this is just a logical proposition at this point because it's not something we feel. Do you understand? Because if we felt it, we'd be acting totally different in our entire life if we felt it, right? But the reality is we, know, we, we intellectually are aware that this must be true. Those two things, at least, must be true. Now, faith says, okay, they must be true because I see the evidence around me that they are true. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold on to that truth until somebody proves differently to me. I'm going to hold on to that truth and work on the premise, on the basis that that is true until such a time that somebody proves to me differently. That's what faith does.
That's how everything that man has ever created has come into being. By somebody having an idea that they had enough faith in to create and prove whether it was true or not. Every single thing that man's ever done has been based around this idea that came from somewhere that then the one person on the planet had to have faith would come true at some point in the future. Yes? And, and so all I've done is I've gone, okay, let's apply that same principle to my relationship with God. So instead of discovering the law of aerodynamics or you know, working out gravity and measuring things to do with physics and you know, using this noggin of mine to determine a lot of scientific truth, the first scientific truth I want to determine is God. That's the first scientific thing I want to go towards. So what I've done is I've just looked at the world around me in the same way that a scientist would look at the world around him or her and discover truths about the universe as a result. I've discovered truths about God that I know are true even though at times I might not feel them. But I do know that if I engage this process with God, eventually I will feel them if I work through the reasons why I don't feel them right now. So many of you right now do not feel that God is a loving God. You look at the law of attraction, for example, and you think sometimes it's a bit cruel, right? Many of you. You go, wow, what about, what about the 50 million children that die of starvation between the age of zero and five? What about them, you know? That seems to me to be like pretty bad attraction. You know, and we, and we start going down and seeing the law of attraction as a negative thing. Now, I, I look at that and I go, right, I do feel the law of attraction is a negative thing. So I feel that inside of me. And I don't feel this now, but I have in the past. But I, I felt that inside of me. And then I worked through the emotional issues with God about the law of attraction being a negative thing. Until such a point in time that I no longer think the law of attraction is a negative law. Now how did I work through it? By trusting that God was a God of love and was clever enough to design a perfect system. And also trusting that I am flawed in my understanding. That's how I did it. And many of us do not want to feel that we're flawed in our understanding. And so what we do instead is we go and tell ourselves a lot of other things. So many of you, for example, would like to think you're unworthy, but the reality, many of you do believe that actually you're better than God. Do you not see that? Well, a person who wants to argue with God about God's laws, what's that doing? Isn't that believing that you're better than God? So every single time you argue with God about one of God's laws, you're automatically thinking you're better than God. That's not a person who's unworthy. That's a person who's arrogant. Quite often we think we have one set of emotions when in reality we have another. Can you see that? Like if you you look at any, any relationship you have with any individual, like for instance, if you there's two of you in a relationship. And this person here believes that person is to blame for the problems in their relationship. Then can this person really say that they feel unworthy of the relationship? Don't they feel that that person's unworthy of the relationship? Really? 
Well, let's apply that to God. If I, if I believe God's at fault for things that God's done with my relationship with God, and I believe God's at fault, aren't I basically saying God's unworthy of a relationship with me? So who am I really thinking is unworthy? God. I'm thinking I know better than God. And God's the one who's unworthy. Now, to be honest, many of us feel that with God because we look at the things that are happening in the world that we don't understand and we've yet to work our way through emotionally and we go, wow, I can't agree that 50 million children die every year. There's something wrong with God allowing that. Many of you go inside of yourself... I wouldn't allow that. And so then you go, God's allowing it, but I'm not allowing it. So God's got to be worse than I am. <laughs> now, is that a feeling of unworthiness? No, that's a feeling of anger. Or not understanding, isn't it? A feeling like confusion. There's a different type of feeling. So often what we do is we you know, list a feeling that we believe we have because we don't want to face the feelings we actually have. Yes? And many of us do this. You know, with the cloud, remember I drew at the start of this discussion, the cloud that we have of emotions, right? So this emotional damaged cloud we have with God that's preventing our relationship with God. And next to it I listed some of the feelings that we had. Do you remember some of them? One of them was, we, many of us believe that God is cruel. We do. Many of you right now believe God's cruel. Right? And I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you don't have any justification for your belief even. I'm, I'm just saying that's how you feel. Uh, not judging it, I'm just saying this is how you feel. Now, of course, if you believe God's cruel, you're not really going to want a relationship with God, are you? Can you see that? Can you see? Would you want a relationship with a person on earth that you believed was cruel? You'd have to be a pretty, like, in, in an abused state, wouldn't you, yourself, to want a relationship with a person who's cruel? Yeah? And you look at the Christian background of religion generally, you look at it. A lot of it believes in a cruel, punishing God. So they want a relationship with a cruel, punishing God. Do you want one? I don't know about you. I don't want one. I don't want a relationship with a cruel, punishing God. If there is a God of love, I'd like a relationship with that God. (laughs) But if I believe God is cruel, can you see I'm going to have a real struggle having a relationship with her? Can you see that? And if I believe God's punishing, I'm always going to be afraid of getting it wrong, aren't I? How many of you are afraid of getting it wrong all the time? The more you learn about divine truth, the more afraid you're becoming. How many of you are finding that? (laughs) Why? Because this emotional damage is not being confronted. This belief that God is going to punish you somehow, you know, now that you know this law, this is going to happen. Now you know that law, this is going to happen. Now, now I'm starting to worry, get confused. What do I do? What do I do? I don't know. Maybe the best thing is to not do anything, like, like Rita said earlier. Maybe that's the, be, the best choice I can make, you know, not do anything. 
And, and the reason why we don't want to do anything is because we're afraid of this God who created these laws. Can you see that? It's an emotional damage we hold in ourselves that's like a cloud preventing us from the relationship with the real God. It's like we have all these concepts about God inside of ourselves, that God is all of these things, and, and we try to shut them down and we try to make them go away, but they're not going to go away until we confront them. They're not going to go away. So if I just look at those two things myself, I've had to work through a lot of issues about those two things. Yeah? About my understanding of the universe and how it works and what in error I am about the universe and how it works. And is God actually a cruel, punishing God? I've had to work through all of those things sincerely. Because if I don't work through them, I'll never grow in this relationship with God. Because I'll keep believing things about God that are false. You can't just go and switch an intellectual switch and go from one point, which is, oh, I don't believe that God's, uh, I believe that God's cruel and punishing. And you can't just go switch, oh, now I believe God's loving. It doesn't work like that. There's things you're going to have to go through emotionally to come to terms with a different belief. And if we're not prepared to face those particular things, we're never going to get there. Yeah? So what I see is these kind of feelings quite frequently are being avoided by most people. They have them, but they're being avoided. And because we don't want to face those feelings, every time we think about our relationship with God, there's one emotion that often comes up quite rapidly, that it's all too... Hard. How many of you have had that emotion with God? Yes, yeah, now we're being realistic about it. Do you think that one's going to prevent us from having a relationship with God? Of course it is. Right? Now the, these are the kinds of things we need to address emotionally if we're really going to progress, to actually feel the feelings. Now, my, the way I see that is that is my injury. Because a person who is in a state of love with me would find a relationship very, very easy. And if I was in a state of love with someone else, I would find the relationship also very, very easy. And if I'm feeling that it's all too hard, I've got to have some false beliefs inside of me that I need to change. Does everyone get that? And logically, I must. So if we're honest with these emotions, we can start to address the issues we have with God. If we can address the issues we have with God, then we can establish a relationship with God and we won't go, be going around all the time trying to get everybody in our area of, or sphere of operation. We won't try to get all them to satisfy our, our unhealed emotions because we've already healed them. And we have a relationship with God that we feel is established, so therefore we feel very, very happy in that relationship. And we don't even need another relationship. We may desire our soulmate, but we don't need our soulmate in order to be happy in that place because we're in a relationship with God. All things come from God, including all 
of our happiness potentially can come from that developing that relationship. And I'm not saying that God just pumps you full of happy emotions. <laughs> what I'm saying is that God helps you release from yourself all of the unhappiness that's inside of you so that no unhappiness exists inside of you. Therefore, everything that you embrace causes you to feel more happiness. Right? So we're not going to, in the end, be like this great big addictive sponge for God to make us feel good all the time because that would be an unloving relationship, would it not? And God wouldn't abide by that kind of unloving relationship. So instead what we'll do is we'll be perfectly embracing of all of our emotional injuries, releasing them and get into a state where we no longer have any but still passionately desire this relationship with God. Once we're in that state, now love can be exchanged between ourselves and God. And if love can be exchanged between ourselves and God, we have the capacity to continually receive divine love after that point and our soul expanding and growing as a result of that love being received. But it won't be a one-way street. We'll also be giving love to God in that process. Just like any other relationship is never a one-way street if it's going to be a good relationship. Of course, God's capacity to give you love is much greater than your capacity to give God's love. However, one thing is very important to remember with that. The fact is that your love is something that God cannot take from you without you wishing to give it. So for that reason, it always brings God much joy when you love God. Because it is the one emotion that God cannot take from you that God would love to have from you. And for that reason, there's a lot of joy in God's heart every time she feels your love. So it's going to be a reciprocal arrangement in terms of your growth in your relationship with God. Anyway, hopefully you've, uh, that discussion has just helped you for a moment just look, look sincerely at your real issues with God. Right? Last week in Bathurst, we gave a talk on, I think it was on the Sunday morning, uh, about why we resist God. And it, a lot of it had to do with things that we've discussed today. And... Um, the day before we had a discussion, the eternal benefits of the relationship with God. And that discussion went down like a lead balloon, actually. <laughs> and so we had to then go and address the issues as to why it did, which was about why we resist God. And we need to be with God where we are right now, rather than trying to fake things with God. So, so rather than focusing on trying to get your addictions met through other people or other relationships, my suggestion is to be more ethical than that inside of yourself and stop trying to get these addictions met. And instead, feel the underlying reason why the addiction is present and what's missing in your relationship with God that causes the addiction to be present. And if you can do that, then you have an opportunity to grow quite significantly.
On a separate matter, um, I'd like to address issues of love that I notice um, sometimes when we're travelling. We notice this with different groups. And something that we're going to be doing in the future here is this. This property that we have uh, these events at is owned by the Lytton Hitchens family. So that's Michael, Sue, Peter and Louisa. As a result of their ownership of this property, any time that any of us are unloving towards those four persons, we've got to sincerely question our motivation, don't we? In the sense that they're giving us a gift of being able to come here and meet and so forth. So... We've got to question our motivation if we have feelings that are unloving towards those four people. Thirdly, I notice that uh, sometimes when Mary and I say things to, to people down here, you have a lot of anger and rage with us sometimes, some of you. And so what we're going to do in future is this. And we've already encouraged the Lytton Hitchens family to do this with you. Whenever anybody comes onto the property who is already in a state of anger with either the family or anyone else who's on the property or with myself or Mary, because we're just anybody else who are also on the property, we'll be asking you to go back home. Can you see why? If we're coming to a place to learn about love... And bringing with us a huge desire to be unloving at that same moment, then we're not being very sincere about learning about love. And it's time that we started confronting that in each other. Do you understand? It's time that we started saying to each other, no, hang on a sec, this anger of yours is not loving, and we've got to you've got to do something about it before I see you again. Right? Now, we've encouraged every single learning centre manager to do this with every single learning centre as well. So whenever there is a, a lack of love being demonstrated between somebody and the person who's facilitating it, or even between people in the group that are here, that we observe, we are going to address those issues more specifically. What we would like to do, and the reason why we're doing this, is what we would like to do is we would like to make this location at least safe for every visitor to come and know they're going to be loved. Does that make sense? But that also means that it has to be safe for the people who also own the property, because <laughs> it is their property, and that they will also be loved. Do you understand? So what we want to do with every learning centre and every place that we visit and every seminar that we do is we want to make the location in that moment a place where love is the dominant feeling that, that, that is prevalent in the room or in the event or whatever the event is. And if love is not present and we notice it inside of a person not being present, then we're just going to have to ask them to go and come back when they feel it's present. Does that make sense? And hopefully that will cause more people to go, okay, when I bring this great big cloud of anger with me or a great big cloud of you know, other emotion with me without addressing it, that is harmful to other people and therefore not loving to them. We feel, if you look at the constitution of the God's Way of Love organisation, we actually feel that we want to create an environment of love 
where people can come and learn. Do you, you notice that when you're in an environment of love, you learn more rapidly? Have you noticed that? I don't know if you cast your mind back to your school days. Do you remember whenever there was a threatening teacher with a stick, um, how confused you got sometimes? <laughs> because you were always a bit, a bit afraid that the stick might be used on you. Whereas when the, when the attitude was more of a loving attitude from a teacher, you could learn a lot more rapidly, you could ask more questions and so forth, you could embrace the process more. And so what we'd like to do is create an environment where we can embrace the process by making sure that every single person in the room is in a state of love. Now, the only way that we can do that is by having your help to do that. By asking yourself this question before you come to an event. Am I coming to this event to take from people, number one, or am I coming to this event so that I can participate and give? That's one, one question. The second question we'd like you to ask, am I going to this event in the state of rage? Or am I going to this event in a state where I'm open to learning new things and being humble? Now, if the answer is that you're in a state of rage, or if your answer is in the negative to the first question, my suggestion is to don't come and instead spend your time more wisely by finding out why you feel the way you do. That would be a much better thing to do than learn a new thing. You see, if we're not yet practising the things we've already learned, then there's hardly any point to learning something new. Do you understand that? And when it comes to love, it's very important that we practise it. If we're truly going to have some benefit, not only to the location, to our own lives, but also to the world, it's, it's important that we learn these lessons of love. Yeah. So, so could you do that for us? If you could ask yourself those questions before you come. Am I coming to learn? Have I got this openness to learn? Am I okay about, am I in a state of rage or am I, am I feeling? And, and there's one further question we'd like you to ask yourself. Is there anybody who is potentially at the location I'm going to who I am upset with already? So let's say I think about it and I go, yeah, actually, yeah, I'm really upset with Kenny actually. Right? And I know Kenny's going to be here, probably. You know, he usually comes. And sometimes I wish that he wish wouldn't come. Right? That's not how I feel, Kenny, by the way. But that's, let's say that's how, how we're feeling. And we go, yeah, I'm obviously not in a state of love with Kenny. And I know he's gonna, going to be there. Now, if I'm not in a state of love with Kenny and I know he's going to be here... What am I going to do when I come? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? I'm going to avoid Kenny. I'm going to sort of not make eye contact with Kenny. I'm going to try to avoid, make sure that he doesn't even notice me there, <laughs> even, or make out that I don't notice him or whatever, which isn't loving. Right? So what we'd like you to do, if you do have an answer to the question, if you're coming along to a session... And you do answer the question, 
I do have an issue with somebody who's going to be there, emotional issue with somebody who's going to be there. What we would like you to do is to resolve that emotional issue with them in, a, in love before you come. Is that not fair enough? If you're learning about love, wouldn't that be the course of action to take? Say, so I go, yeah, I've got a big problem with Fab. So I've got to go and t- I want to go to this group meeting Saturday, but I've got a big problem with Fab, so I'm going to have to go and talk to Fab Friday or Thursday or ring him up or just talk to him about what the issue is, at least so I can sort it out and find out or at least resolve it within myself. You don't necessarily have to talk to the person about it, but you do need to resolve it within yourself. But talking to them is a great way of resolving that a lot of the times. Jen, if we have the mic up right at the back. Thanks, mate. What if that person has told you that they don't want to talk to you? Then as far as it depends on you, you can come. <laughs> because you've attempted to deal with the issue in love. Yeah. Now, if every single person here does the same thing, there won't be ever any, a, a situation where... That would occur, would there? And we'd have to then. So we we know straight. We'll know straight away who's being sincere about learning about love or not, won't we? Yeah. Because the, the people who say I don't want to see you anymore are going to be the people who are not learning about love. Now we're also going to make. We're also making the choice on the property, and we've advised all learning centre managers or the people who want to make their properties learning centres to to do this. If a person refuses consistently to address the issue of love, then we would like them to stay off the property until they've addressed the issue. Does that make sense? So if, if we feel that you are refusing consistently to address an issue of love when you come on the property, we will ask you to no longer come on the property. Now, some of the issues of love that we've done this with have been quite extreme. They involve the abuse of children and other things where we've asked people who are not addressing those particular issues to not come on the property. And in future, we're going to be even more concerned about even just the attitude of anger towards people, consistent anger towards people. We want these locations to be loving locations. The way we see it is this. This is not, we want this location not to be the average location on earth. What we would like the location to be is to be above average in the sense of how loving it is. And in fact, in the end, we'd like it to be in the second sphere in terms of equal to the second sphere and and then equal to the third sphere and then equal to the fourth. Eventually, we'd like it to be equal to at one condition in love. So everybody who comes here is at one with God. You know, imagine what that would be like. Right? So, so that's where it eventually like. But, but for that to happen, all of us need to engage this process of loving each other. And that means we need to be a lot more sincere about when we're not loving another. Yeah? And we need to address those issues of love. So if you can bear that in mind, even if you don't bear it in mind, the owners of the learning centres will. <laughs> You understand? <laughs> so, and, and we've given them very clear advice along those directions. We do not own the learning centres, myself and Mary, but any place that, we wish, any place that wishes to be a learning centre 
is going to have to embrace the concepts of love. And one of the concepts of love is to resolve the unloving behaviour you have towards another one of God's children. And if you can't do that, how can you ever expect to have a relationship with God who is the parent of that child? It's a fair enough principle, isn't it? Okay. Well, what we'll do now, I think some of you brought some grub and stuff, some food. So we have a break for a while, uh, probably half an hour, 45 minutes. And uh, what the guys are going to do is set up the, the musical instruments and everything. And, uh, and we're going to do a bit of a concert, if you don't mind that, if you want to stick around for that. So hopefully you'll enjoy that. And if you don't, that's okay too. You, know, you can leave any time. We've enjoyed putting it together anyway. <laughs> so we'll catch you. Thanks, guys.